It's 6 p.m. and you are tuned to your community radio station, KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Wednesday, June 21st. I'm Kelly Reese and this is your KVMR Evening News. First up, the California report explores the state's healthcare staffing shortage and the difficulties in finding a solution. After your local news and weather forecast, KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza speaks with Annika Hegedorn about the upcoming third annual Nevada County Sheriff's Office Community Academy. And it's the first day of summer, but you'd never guess based on the weather. KVMR science correspondent Al Stoller sits down with UC Davis professor of meteorology, Dr. Matthew Eigel, and asks, what gives? Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Adi Bolaños in San Francisco. Hospitals and workers agree California has a health care staffing shortage. But how do we fix it? Democrats in the state legislature are pushing to increase the minimum wage for health care workers to $25 an hour. But that proposal is receiving pushback. Cap Radio's health care reporter Kate Wolf has that story. Georgette Bradford considers herself blessed. She's been with Kaiser Permanente in Sacramento for 19 years and thinks she makes a fair wage. But that's not true for some of her coworkers, who are medical assistants, personal care aides, and food service workers. We have members that work in the hospital but may have to live in their cars. We have members that work in the hospital and have to have two or three jobs to make ends meet. She doesn't think that's good for anybody, not her coworkers nor the patients they serve. I don't know about you, but I would not want someone who's working on two or three hours of sleep doing my prep for my surgery. And often when they leave due to stress or injury or burnout, it's tough to recruit new people. In some instances, they can make just as much money at Hobby Lobby, In-N-Out Burger, and not put themselves at risk for catching a disease. Thousands of people who work in healthcare facilities or as home health aides make California's minimum wage, $15.50 an hour. According to a study by UC Berkeley's Labor Center, which says it advocates for working families, about three-quarters of people who do this kind of work are women, mostly women of color. And they're often the primary breadwinners for their households. Democratic State Senator Maria Elena Dorazo thinks a pay raise would help. To say that it's okay to make $32,000 a year is unacceptable or should be unacceptable. Moving that to $50,000 a year is much more along the lines of what it takes to survive. She thinks most hospitals can afford to pay more. We feel very comfortable that there are both public and private sector hospitals that are doing fine. But for those hospitals that are not doing well, we ought to have a plan for them. They're already on the brink. Sarah Bridge lobbies for health facilities in remote and rural places. She's with the Association of Healthcare Districts, which represents many of those local government-run systems. We've come out of the pandemic and we're looking to provide services to communities. And our financial position is much different than it was pre-COVID. Already this year, a community hospital in Madera closed. And another one in Visalia laid off more than 130 staff. Several others have warned they're in dire financial straits. Bridge says they can't afford to raise the minimum wage. It will lead to closures. Because if you can't afford to meet the mandate, you will have to make decisions of services to cut. County governments and the state's business community are also opposed to the bill. The California Chamber of Commerce calls it a job killer that would cost $8 billion annually. 
That label historically signifies a steep road to becoming law. However, DeRazzo's bill passed the Senate and is currently being shaped in the Assembly. She says she'll be taking the needs of health care providers into account. We do care about those hospitals, whether they're in the urban areas or in a rural area. We care about everyone having access. The challenge is preserving that access, balancing the needs of workers with keeping remote hospitals open. For The California Report, I'm Kate Wolf. Support for the California Report comes from Paint Care, now with more than 850 drop-off sites in California where households and businesses can recycle their leftover paint. More at paintcare.org. The James Irvine Foundation, committed to a California where all low-income workers have the power to advance economically. Learn more at irvine.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt. Through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food. On the web at theschmidt.org. When it comes to Pride Month here in California, the focus often shifts to San Francisco's Castro District or West Hollywood in Southern California. But Oakland is gaining its own foothold when it comes to gay and queer-friendly gathering spaces in the city. The California Report's Keith Mizuguchi has that story. Oakland is already home to the White Horse Bar, considered the oldest continuously operating gay bar in the country. New owner Patty Dingle says the history of the 90-year-old space isn't lost on her. She took over back in December, having always wanted to own a bar. And she recognizes the importance of spaces like the White Horse. Particularly people who have moved to the Bay Area, they wanted to find their home. And some people have found this to be their home because there were people here like them. A veteran of the San Francisco club and bar scene, Dingle says Oakland's diverse population is ripe for more gay and queer spaces to open. We, I think, have a collective that we're in this together. There's enough to go around for everybody. And so it's just what type of vibe people are looking for. New spaces like Town Bar and Lounge have opened in recent months. Owner Joshua Wynn explains why he opened the bar. I'm a longtime Oakland resident. The Oakland gay scene was very lacking, I would say. There was just wasn't very many options. What we had was amazing. We were lucky to have the options we did have, but there was just so much more potential. Fellow bar owner Nina Joyner opened Feel More Social in April, a few blocks away. Joyner calls it a sex-forward and sex-positive space for everyone. I feel that a lot of the bar culture in downtown Oakland had already accepted queer and queer questioning, LGBTQIA+, everybody. But I also think that this is a true unique opportunity for that population of people who feel that way to also come into ownership to bars that are owned by people who look like them. With the rights of LGBTQIA communities being challenged across the country, all three bar owners say their businesses are more important than ever in providing a safe space where everyone who comes in can be themselves for the evening. For The California Report, I'm Keith Mizuguchi in Oakland. Solar power is making its way to amusement parks. This summer, Six Flags Magic Mountain will start construction on a solar carport and energy storage system to power all 20 roller coasters at the park, offsetting 100% of the park's energy usage. This will be California's largest solar energy project and the world's largest renewable energy site built by a for-profit organization. 
And that's the California Report for Wednesday, June 21st. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm your host, Madi Bolaños. Thanks for listening and have a great day. Let's take a look at today's local news. Three Nevada City residents were arrested on Tuesday on charges stemming from a joint child pornography investigation. According to a news release from the Nevada County Sheriff's Office, search warrants were executed starting at 7 a.m. and lasting until around 4 p.m. on Tuesday. The nine-hour operation resulted in three felony arrests for possession and or distribution of child pornography. 78-year-old Richard Hamner was arrested on the 400 block of Brock Road in Nevada City. He's charged with possession of child sexual abuse material and the distribution of child sexual abuse material. The news release says Hamner was cited and released at the hospital for an unrelated medical condition. 30-year-old Stuart Farr and 40-year-old Jessica Lee were arrested at the 13,000 block of Snow Mountain Camp Road in Nevada City. Farr is charged with both possession and distribution of child sexual abuse material. Lee has been charged with distribution. Additionally, both Farr and Lee are charged with conspiracy to commit a felony. They're booked into the Wayne Brown Correctional Facility in Nevada City, where they remain in custody. The June 20th arrests are the culmination of three separate cyber tip investigations. The Nevada County Sheriff's Office and the Nevada County District Attorney's Office worked alongside the Sacramento Area Internet Crimes Against Children Task Force program to locate the three individuals, execute search warrants, and make their arrests. As Steve Baker reported on the morning news, the Nevada County Board of Supervisors has scheduled a public meeting on October 2nd and 3rd for the proposed Idaho-Maryland mine Rise Grass Valley project. A news release states the board will issue a formal notice of the public hearing for the special meeting sometime in September. The release continues, saying interested residents are encouraged to subscribe for updates on the project's planning process at nevadacountyca.gov slash immrise. It's there that residents can also find information on how to submit public comments and review the final environmental impact report. The October 2nd and 3rd special meeting will take place at the Eric Rood Administration Center in Nevada City. And before we pivot to your weather forecast, a quick reminder that Donner Pass Road remains closed to through traffic just west of Donner Lake due to existing and potential unsafe rockfall on the roadway. It's anticipated to remain closed into July. Residents can view the location of road closures on the Public Works Road Conditions and Closures map at nevadacountyca.gov slash roadclosures. Nevada County Public Works recommends visiting their Facebook page for the most up-to-date information on road closures and other projects. Now on to your local forecast from the National Weather Service. For those in Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight mostly clear with a low around 51 degrees. Thursday, mostly cloudy, then gradually becoming sunny with a high near 73. Thursday night will be partly cloudy with a low around 49 degrees. For Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight increasing clouds with a low around 39 degrees. Thursday, partly sunny with a high near 65. Thursday night will be mostly cloudy with a low around 39 degrees. A slight chance of thunderstorms after 5 p.m. and a 20% chance of precipitation. And in Sacramento and Woodland, tonight mostly clear with a low around 53. Winds could gust as high as 18 miles per hour. 
Thursday mostly cloudy, then gradually becoming sunny, with a high near 78. Gusty conditions persist. Thursday night will be mostly clear, with a low around 55 degrees. Thursday night will be breezy, with winds as high as 22 miles per hour. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. Up ahead, KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza speaks with Annika Hegedorn about the upcoming third annual Nevada County Sheriff's Office Community Academy. The program, which is designed to give a behind-the-scenes look at law enforcement, spans 12 weeks, meeting every Wednesday evening from 6 to 8 p.m., beginning August 16th. Claudio has the details. The Nevada County Sheriff's Office is accepting applications for the third annual Community Academy. The Community Academy is something that the sheriff has wanted for a while and she's tasked with doing, and it is a free 12-week course designed to give our citizens a better understanding of the law enforcement and how the sheriff's office works within the community. That's Anika Hagedorn, a reserve deputy with the NCSO. She's the main instructor for the academy. After retiring as a captain from the Sacramento County Sheriff's Office, she volunteered to lead the academy here in her home county. In order to give the community a better understanding of what Law enforcement is general, generally does, but specifically law enforcement, the sheriff's office in Nevada County, because it seems like that's often kind of one of those things that most folks don't understand, and rightfully so, because most folks don't really interact with law enforcement, right? And so it allows them to kind of go through and see what, what we offer, what the agency does. The Academy will convene in the Empire Room on the second floor of the Rood Center beginning August 16th and we'll go through the 1st of November. The days are filled with officers. So officers or sergeants or deputies within the department, those are the ones that actually do the presentation. So you're going to get a detective, probably somebody from the DA's office. When we talk about special investigations, you're going to get an SED person. When we talk about SED, a canine officer is going to describe canine. Somebody from the courts is going to talk about courts. So at the same time, they actually get to meet those folks that actually do those services, provide those services. So week one, it's actually just an intro welcome by the sheriff and some of the management team. Week two, we talk all about dispatch and records. And then we go on to the basics of administration, uh, which includes what the role of the public administrator is and the coroner. And we talk about uh, basics of animal control which is when we go to Sammy's friends. Well, then we get into operations and investigations, which includes SWAT, um, detectives, all of the specialized units that the sheriff's office has. So that will take three weeks because it, it takes that long to go through every single one of those. Then we talk about personnel and training, corrections and the courts, critical incident negotiations, and then we get our insiders look at the crime scene investigations, which is the tour that we go on. And then community outreach and what that entails, which includes our volunteers. And then on week 12, we have a, what I consider a huge graduation ceremony for all of our academy graduates. So it's pretty detailed. They will get a look at every single unit and division within the sheriff's office. The academy is free, but seats are limited and there are some requirements. 
So you have to you have to live and or work in the county of Nevada. You have to be at least 18 years old, and there is a very um, there is a background that's similar to the background that uh, one would go through if they want to go on a ride along with a sheriff's officer, and that's because we do take them into some sensitive areas, right? So they do go into into the jail on a tour of the jail facility, and they do actually go into where we have our property warehouse. Um, although they're controlled visits, there are some parameters of that you actually have to be in line with in order to be able to go into those facilities, right? So they do have to do a background. There's an application to fill out, and the link to that application is on our website under our community engagement page for the sheriff's office, and that's it. Really, really not a whole lot of requirements because we do want the, the, the largest amount of folks to be able to participate. There are multiple ways to apply. You can do it online, in person, or through the mail. So in order to be able to give everybody access to this, uh, we actually have a, a QR code, which is a newer thing, kind of at least for some of us it is. So there's a QR code that's available. There's the online application. If you don't have access to to equipment to do that, you can always download the PDF version, which is also available on the sheriff's website. And then you can mail it in. Our address is available, or you can walk it into the sheriff's office on the second floor of the root center, hand it over to the folks at the front counter, and they will get that application to me. The deadline to apply is July 16th, and you can learn more by reaching out to Deputy Hagedorn directly by email or on the web at nevadacountyca.gov slash 3313 community engagement. For KVMR, I'm Claudio Mendoza. It's the first day of summer, but you'd never guess based on the weather. KVMR science correspondent Al Stoller sits down with UC Davis professor of meteorology, Dr. Matthew Eigel. Al tackles the question many of us are wondering, what's the deal with this unusual weather? Answers incoming. What steers storms? What blows a storm from one place to another? The jet stream, a region of extremely fast winds, typically about the same kind of altitudes where airplanes fly. Roughly six miles over our heads. That wind almost always blows from west to east in the northern hemisphere at latitudes here in California. And that jet stream is unstable, so it makes waves. And those waves are generally the things that we would call weather. So areas where that wave is in one phase corresponds to low-pressure systems and storminess. A wave that is in another phase corresponds to high-pressure systems and generally quiescent and hot weather. The jet stream itself can be steered to go one way or another and bring us a storm or avoid us entirely. Exactly. The jet stream responds to the temperature and pressure structure of the atmosphere, and it's always sort of blowing itself around. It blows itself around in ways that leads to different kinds of weather, different patterns that occur um, and, you know, keep, keep our weather interesting and varied day to day and week to week. No, we have a Mediterranean climate, which means it does not rain generally in the summer. And the reason for that is a huge mound of air, a region of high pressure off the coast, and that steers the jet stream away from us. Right now, there's another high pressure system steering the jet stream. What's happening? 
the really interesting pattern right now that's contributing to our generally cooler weather here on the West Coast is actually a really strong high-pressure system over eastern Canada. This is the same sort of area that was experiencing some fires several weeks ago. This pattern is somewhat unusual. It's resulting in very warm weather in eastern Canada, very cool weather in the southeast United States, and very cool weather here on the West Coast. When this kind of pattern sets up, we sometimes call it a Rex block. It means that jet stream doesn't really change shape, doesn't flow in the way that we would typically expect, which is for weather systems to evolve from west to east. Weather systems get blocked, and we are essentially just stuck in the same pattern for an extended period of time. So the West Coast has been seeing this cool weather, and the East Coast sees this warm weather. And in eastern Canada, they've been experiencing this warm weather from this blocking pattern for an appreciable amount of time and will continue to see you know, clear skies and hot weather back east for you know, at least the next several days. Meaning the Rex block will continue blocking the jet stream from changing things. I have read that in very rare situations, a Rex block can set up for months. Is there any hope that we could actually have a whole summer of this type of weather? Not all Rex blocks set up for that long. Certainly some of them do. I was looking at long-term forecasts. I think the expectation from the National Weather Service and from you know my own forecasting would be for at least another week of cool temperatures. It's possible that we warm up again the weekend of the 4th of July. But beyond that, it does look like we're supposed to be in this cool pattern you know, for some period past the 4th of July. It's always hard to make forecasts that long in advance. But I was also, you know, looking back at other years that have seen relatively cool springs. So the last year in Sacramento, at least, that we didn't have a high above 100 degrees for the month of June was in 2010. And certainly in that year, it was several degrees below average in June and May, as well as for the rest of the summer. So July and August were both several degrees cooler than normal and with very few days over 100. So, you know, we have no indication necessarily that that will set up this year again. But there certainly are, you know, years that we might compare to this one in in recent history that might actually indicate that we could potentially have a very pleasant summer. Something to hope for. I agree. Matt, this has been really interesting. Thank you very much. It's been my pleasure. I'm speaking with Dr. Matthew Eigel, professor of meteorology at UC Davis. I almost forgot. After sunset tonight, look to the west. And there is the crescent moon and planet Venus together. Happy summer solstice. Keep looking up. For KVMR, I'm Al Stoller. That's our newscast for Wednesday, June 21st. Visit us online at kvmr.org and connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. KVMR gets support from generous listeners like you and Music in the Mountains Summerfest 2023, presenting a piano recital and champagne reception with Vijay Venkatesh on Saturday, June 24th, 7 p.m. at the Center for the Arts in Grass Valley. Information and tickets at musicinthemountains.org. Support for KVMR's Future of Radio project comes from AJA Video Systems, empowering the next generation of local journalists and broadcasters. The KVMR Evening News is produced by KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza. As always, thanks for tuning in. I'm Kelly Reese, signing off. Join us Thursday at 6 for another edition of the KVMR Evening News.